everyone. Welcome to Reality Tonight. I'm your host, Rit, back from my what is now appearing to be quarterly episode to discuss none other than Love is Blind and Buying Beverly Hills, two shows that have captured my heart for very different reasons. Both have one thing in common that everyone on them is strange, and the people who are being put on these shows are getting stranger and stranger. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But first, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Reality Tonight. Or if you're on TikTok, I have a page called Gentlemen Prefer Classics, on which I discuss uh, classic Indian and American movies. And it's a lot of fun, and it's growing into a community of <laughs> really odd people who are very nice. Um, some are a little combative, and some like to respond to my posts with posts of their own, which is very strange. Um, It's a weird world over there, but I will say it feels a little less toxic than Instagram and way less toxic than Twitter, which I'm, you know, not even going to bother with anymore. Uh, And especially, God, coming off of Beverly Hills, I just, that was such a dark era when that show was on, and I don't know why I kept watching it. I think it was like that car crash thing where you you just want to, you know, you can't look away, and I just wanted to see how it was going to end up and if there was any sort of salvaging the darkness of the season and it just it just wasn't great uh and it's hard because it's not like everyone felt the same you know like people were really divided about the crystal stuff and garcelle well not really as much garcelle but the crystal stuff like i felt a very specific way that was kind of in the minority and so uh and it's you know tied to a lot of deeper stuff beyond tv that maybe i should just that to me was an indication that maybe i should stop watching because i'm taking it way too personally but whatever i mean we got through it. It was horrible. And I hope they take a little bit of a pause and reset. And I hope we can just have a lighter season. But um, I think if they get rid of Kyle, that'll help. But anyway, speaking of Kyle, let's use her to get into buying Beverly Hills. Now, for those of you who are not familiar, because I'm not sure that a lot of you are actually watching it, buying Beverly Hills uh, features Mauricio's The Agency, and it's basically the people who work under him, and they're all like in their weird little teams. And Mauricio's number one policy is no assholes, which is weird because that is the number one main ingredient for a good TV character. But lucky for him, or perhaps unbeknownst to him, they are in fact all assholes, including his own daughters. And I say that with love because they're not assholes in like a mean way, but more like I feel like you can use the word asshole to also describe someone who's like kind of useless. And that is where Alexia comes in. Now we have seen her grow up on TV, so I feel, I do feel bad speaking ill of her, but she is an adult and she did choose to be on the show. So here I go. Alexia is the product of Kyle and Mauricio. She is also a product of a third invisible parent, which is anxiety. Yes, just like Kyle, Alexia, too, has major anxiety. She also has Kyle's voice, which is really disturbing. So does Farah, by the way. It's like all these mini Kyles running around that office. But these two, Farah and Alexia, could not be more different from each other. First of all, they have different fathers, which is neither here nor there, except for the fact that they're both working for Mauricio. And one is Mauricio's like pride and joy, Alexia, and the other, even though he raised her since she was five, they just have a different sort of businessy relationship, him and Farah. And so a lot of the show is is seeing Alexia get things handed to her, and Farah kind of has to stand by and watch. And it's it's a little juicy because she does kind of vocalize how it bothers her, but she can only say so much. 
somewhere around minute 10 of episode 1, it kind of occurs to you that this is a family that should not be on television. And not because of, like, any superficial reason. They just don't do well in a television format. There's just... It, it's really bad for their relationships. They don't handle it well. And I, I worry for these two sisters because already, you know, in the first episode itself, you have Mauricio in his kind of opening monologue to us talking about how he has to find someone to take over the agency. I mean, they're basically trying to make this like succession. So at some point, he's going to pick a successor and it's going to be either Alexia or Farah. Now, considering Alexia doesn't know her way around a house or what a stone is called, uh, there's like that Carrera Calcutta marble that she struggles with. Um, and, you know, I actually am willing to bet that she hasn't even passed her real estate exam. So considering all that, I don't know that she is the logical heir to the throne. And Farah, on the other hand, is much more, you know, she's much better at the job and she's very diligent. But she also, in the sort of super tease trailer thing, tells Mauricio that she doesn't want to manage people, which makes sense because she herself is a very odd person. I don't know what Farah's deal is. She seems very unhappy. She's like one of those people she seems like she always has a migraine or that she's really always bothered by something. And it's like kind of hard to watch her because she just, it's like, you know, when you have like a toothache and it just takes over your whole mood and personality and you're just like on edge and really irritable. That's the vibe I get from her. I get like toothache migraine vibes and I'm on episode six and that has not changed at all. And mind you, within these episodes, she has been proposed to and still she doesn't seem super happy. All right, so that's this like thing that's always hanging out there, like that's just always floating over there is this dark energy. Alexia, on the other hand, constantly crying, always having anxiety, always super anxious, worried that everyone thinks that she had this handed to her, which she did, or that she doesn't deserve to be at the agency, which she doesn't. Uh, so watching her struggle through that is, is tough. There's also, you know, peripheral characters on the side. There's uh, Sonika, who is this Indian girl, so obviously rooting for her. Uh, six episodes in, I, I like her. I think she's good for TV. I think she's interesting. Uh, she, I guess, was a finalist on American Idol. Um, and she's dating one of the really successful young agents at Mauricio's agency, who, shocker, is, like, really boring and not meant for TV. So her whole arc is that she's trying to gain her confidence and she and Alexia are kind of similar in that way that they're still trying to get their bearings. However, she, she claims at one point that she's done almost six million in sales, which is confusing because she also seems like she's never been inside a house before. And at one point, Alexia and her are asked by this like motivational lady why they love real estate. And they're just like, I love design, which seems like it would be that's a different career altogether. But what do I know? By the way, super quick tangent to the Kardashians. Uh, I've been watching season two of that dreadful show on Hulu that is like, oh my God, it's such a chore to get through. And yet I go back for more. Kendall now is, you know, really into interior design and decorating. And she goes to Scott's house to talk about it. And poor Scott just looks so rough. And she's like, I just love design. I just love like looking at design. This is like the new rich girl thing to be like, I love design. Okay, anyway, back to buying Beverly Hills. So there, okay, I'm not going to do like specific breakdowns. I'm just kind of giving very general overview things. There is a part that really infuriated me with Alexia. So remember, she's just like, 
her whole story is she's trying to prove herself and Mauricio keeps giving her opportunities. Like there is a part where he asks her to do like a sales pitch or something for a house to talk about like how amazing the house is. And she fucks up like twice, two to three times. And he's like, I think you'll be great. You should get the listing. Like he just hands her shit and Farah's like, um, hello. <laughs> so anyway, there's a part where they're at this party. They're at Farrowine, which is a celebration of Farah's birthday, which coincides with Halloween. And Farah talks about all these like other Farrowines of Farrowines past and how over the top they were. And when you see her and the way she is, it's like she does not strike me as the kind of person who would inspire someone to throw her a massive party, much less someone that would have the energy to want to throw a big party for herself because she's just not a whole lot of fun. But anyway, at this party, basically Alexia is like, Sonika before the party tells Alexia, oh, you know, if someone were talking shit about me, I would want to know. And Alexia in Bite is like, well, you know, I do know something, but now I don't know if I should tell her. So we're like, oh, what could that be? So she sits Sonica down and she tells her it's something about the boyfriend. It's some like rumor thing. And she's like, and I talked shit about it to other people. And I'm sorry, I should have come to you directly. And poor Sonica's crying and she confronts her boyfriend. They fight and she leaves. Like she, she like cries and leaves the house. And Alexia is telling her friends, like, I think she just left. I think she's crying. It's like, go after her. You are the reason she is crying, and you know that. So that, to me, right there felt very Kyle, where Kyle's always just concerned about herself first, and her sensitivity and her warmth towards other people is very unpredictable, and she doesn't give everyone the same kind of generosity and warmth. Similarly, I mean, this is supposed to be Alexia's friend, and she's just like, oh, I don't know why she's upset. Anyway, back to this party. So my whole point is, like, Alexia is not a very... um, She's not a character that elicits a lot of sympathy, and she's not super likable. So there's that. There's also this this girl, Allie, who is pregnant in the beginning. I think that's her name. Sorry if that's not her name. She's this blonde friend of Farah's, and she serves no purpose other than to be like, Farah, when are you getting married? When's your boyfriend proposing? Okay. Now, spoiler alert, she gets proposed to. I already said this before anyway, so whatever, it's too late. But she gets proposed to on the show, and I have never seen anything like this. Basically, she <clears throat> she has this weird boyfriend who seems like he's high all the time and he owns like a luxury car thing. So he's always pulling up to the house in a different car. And that's like the essence of his personality. It's like, babe, what car will I pull up in tonight? And she like waits by the door and he pulls up in some new sports car and she's like, wow, that's so cool. And that's like the essence of their relationship. So she's really like looking to get proposed to and then get engaged and she wants a family and all this stuff so she basically one night makes him dinner and they have this like thing where she's like all emotional because he hasn't proposed and then he like goes to his jacket pulls out a ring and proposes to her at the dinner that she made for him in his house and she's like sobbing and she calls like kyle and mauricio and they're like so happy about it and it seems like mauricio had no idea Oh, I guess Mauricio isn't the isn't her father, so why would he ask Mauricio? Anyway, it just seems like the parents had no idea, and it's such a weird, joyless scene. And even in her in her crying about it, they don't feel like happy tears. They seem like miserable, deeply unhappy tears. So this weird dude proposes to her. Now they're getting married. I don't know. That whole thing was very strange and very unromantic. So yeah, that's all. That all begins with Allie being like, "When are you getting married?" 
So that's her thing. Uh, Farrah has this other weird friend whose name I cannot remember. She's a, like she's a realtor that like bops in and out of LA from Miami. She's very messy. She's not enjoyable. I don't know what she's doing on the show. Then you have these two guys who, okay, then you have this one guy and then I'm done, I swear. You have this one guy who is like kind of this like young douchey guy and he doesn't like the older version of himself because he thinks he's really corny. So this young douchey guy scores this like big listing, which is his aunt's listing. And yeah, he had to like prove himself to get it, but his aunt gives it to him. And literally everyone in the office is like, I'm seeing him in a new light. I can't believe he did this. And it's like, he got his aunt's listing. It's not that big of a deal. And so now the older guy is like, I want to leave because I'm sick of splitting my commission with the agency and losing all this money. I'm going to start my own agency. Hey, guy who just got his aunt's listing, you've impressed me. You should come with me. It's like you're poaching this guy from the agency because he got his own aunt's listing. Very weird. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, it's still enjoyable, I'll be honest. It is not as pretty as Selling Sunset. Like, the visuals are not quite the same. Some of the houses are, like, truly hideous, especially in episode one. I think there was this fireplace. And they, like, shoot it and talk about it like it's gorgeous. And it's one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in my life. It's almost like, like, the marble is so brown that it looks like leopard. It's just really gross and weird. So it's a strange little show, but I do recommend it. It really is bingeable, my goodness. Um, so I look forward to finishing that very soon. Okay, let's talk about Love is Blind. So I finished it last night, and uh, I, don't, I'm, I don't really know where to begin, but I will actually here. I'll begin with Nick and Vanessa, who, <laughs> first of all, Nick is like calcifying into a mannequin. I find him his look very unsettling. And it's not that his skin is like stretched tightly, like he has regular lines in his face, but they're always there. And like, he just has a permanently furrowed brow and his hair looks like it's spray painted on like Joe Gorga. And then Vanessa, I she just, I, I've realized that a quality I don't want in my reality show reunion host is somebody who is too invested in the show. And the number of times she's like, my heart was in my throat. I stood up when this when Nick and I were watching. I stood up and I said, blah, blah, blah. She's also always rubbing his back like he's throwing up or like touching his leg. And neither of them sit up straight. And to see these two like slouchy hosts who are way too invested, especially Vanessa in the stories and the people. Uh, and Vanessa seems like she's she's just not super like fresh and enthusiastic. She just seems very tired. So I, they're just a weird... And also, no one is like, Nick and Vanessa, the ultimate couple. Like, why are these two the ones who are like, want to be like us? <laughs> Compete in Love is Blind. Anyway, so that's that. Now, I don't have any notes other than just the names of everyone because I knew I was going to forget and I've already lost the list. Oh, wait, here it is. Okay. Okay, great. So let's begin with sort of like the softer players, uh, Alexa and Brennan. So I find these two to be the oddest couple, like the oddest pairing of the bunch, because, you know, she's from that really, like, large, rich, sarcastic family, and when the father met Brennan, he's like, basically, he's like, all I care about is that you maintain her lifestyle, and that you travel with her and shit, and Brennan was like, oh, yes, sir, Brennan is, um, what's his face from 30 Rock, Kenneth from 30 Rock, that's how I see him, but it's like, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir, and, uh, you know, she has a hundred siblings, and she never wears the same outfit twice, and his family, something's going on there. It was a little weird. The mom is nice, but she's very intense with those bangs and those glasses. And 
It's just a very, his family's very odd. So the two of them, I mean, I don't even know what they talk about, but they somehow fell in love and now they're married. And to me, it felt like they were at the altar and they were like, yeah, okay, sure, why not? You know, like, this will do. They just don't seem like they're really into it, but it also seems to work for them. Like, they don't really fight or anything. So I would just be curious to see how that relationship goes once they've like kind of been together a little longer because I don't I just don't see what like spark they have that keeps them going but you know they both seem nice I enjoyed Alexa's kind of like bitchy passive-aggressive vibe at the reunion she seemed she was like really there for the tea and ready to drag Cole which is a whole other story uh so I I do I do like her um I just don't fully understand their pairing um okay SK and Raven I despised Raven in the beginning. I thought she was somebody who based her entire personality off exercise, and those are the worst people. And she was also just really, like, bitchy and judgmental, and her friends were awful and nasty, and she was, like, you know, kind of not willing to really be in the relationship for both of them. It was like her comfort came first. And I'm not really sure what happened, but suddenly she fell head over heels for SK, she became really warm and kind and understanding, and I don't know, she just like really mellowed out. And by the end, she was the most stable, and I think likable one there. Yeah, I, I liked her the most by the end. I mean, obviously she looked amazing as well at the reunion, which doesn't matter, but just as a side note. Oh yeah, the looks, ooh. Poor Nancy, I mean, this was really her time to like dominate the stage, and she just couldn't get that aesthetic together, which, you know, is tough. So that's Raven. I mean, I like them together. They seem like they've really figured it out. She seems, it seems like there's a mutual respect. I think she realized that he's really down to earth and really hardworking. And that that was like a really good stabilizing thing for her because I feel like she usually dates douchey guys. So I like that they're together now. I think that's great. And I like that they, I mean, the weird thing about this show is that there is always the option to say, let's not get married right now and let's just keep dating. Which, I mean, you can't stop them from doing that. You can't say it's either this or you can never see them again. But it does kind of soften the stakes of the show if that's an option. But nevertheless, I am glad that they are still together. And I, I think they're good together. All right, Matt and Colleen. I Tell me if I'm wrong. I got vibes from her at the reunion that she was afraid of him. And that some shit has happened that has made her really meek and scared and timid. And he referenced, he's like, oh, we had a couple of, you know, uh, uh, spats in the beginning when we first started, like, and I don't know. I, I don't like this guy. I think he's so wounded by that being cheated on that it's made him really angry in a dark way. I don't think anything that we saw on the show, nothing we saw on the show made me feel like he was a good guy for her or kind of a good guy in general. I think he actually got away with murder, uh, whereas Cole really took the brunt of everything at the reunion. Um, so I, I don't know. I kind of worry for her and, you know, them not living together. It makes sense how she explained it, why that is. But at the same time, something fell off. So it, to me, it felt like there was a big fight. And so there, she's not ready to move in yet because she knows that he's not good for her. I don't know. There's just more there than what she's telling us. And also a lot of the cutaways, like especially during the pool conversation, which honestly was like was not that big of a deal, I don't think, with Cole and her. And she was like so ashamed and embarrassed. And it's like you didn't really, I don't know, she didn't really do anything that wrong. So 
I just I, I do worry for Colleen, but um, my favorite thing about Colleen was in the beginning the fact that she and Cole didn't get together because she didn't want to go deep in a marriage. I thought was the weirdest reason to not want to be with someone, um, but she stuck to her guns and she was determined to keep things shallow, and so she ended up with angry Matt, um, who freaks me out a little bit. All right, then we have. Nancy and Bartise. I think Bartise is the real villain more than Cole. Uh, I think he never wanted to be with her. I think he ended up with her, realized he wasn't attracted to her for whatever reason, and then came up with this abortion stuff, which I do think it's great that they had that conversation because I'm not sure, I'm not sure a lot of couples have that conversation, and if it comes up, it can be a really tricky thing. However, he kept hanging his hat on, oh, well, her ex is involved in two businesses, which we barely heard about, and oh, the abortion thing or whatever. And it's like, well, that's a hypothetical. That's not necessarily a thing that is going to happen. So to me, he was looking for excuses from the beginning uh, and the fact that her family seems like they hated her. So I thought it was a bunch of nonsense and all this, I think he thinks he's really smart and like an intellectual. And I think I think he finds himself to be very emotionally intelligent and he's just not. So I just, he just grossed me out. His vibe was just so douchey and gross. And I think he should have gotten dragged more than, than he was. Uh, I like Nancy. I think she's really sweet. She's smart. She's got a good head on her shoulders. So I hope she finds love. I mean, they should maybe bring her back. You know, like, why don't we bring back some of these people who are worthy of a second chance? I also think it's interesting that her brother, who was trying to be a tough guy, but even though he's her older brother, he was just behaving like her teenage brother. I just think it's interesting that he was like, then why are we all here? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, dude, that's the premise. They have to end up there no matter what. So, yeah, her family was, her mom, her mom kept running over to get involved and she had to be like, mom, mom, stop. And the mom was doing the most. She was off to the side like, she's your sister. She's your baby's sister. It was like, it was a little too, it was a little too much. I think he, in that sense, I think he dodged a bullet because that family was a little Looney Tunes. But otherwise, she's much better off without him. All right. Now we're going to end with Zay and Cole. Throughout the show, I was really bothered by how nitpicky she was with him and how she acted like his mom. It is interesting that he confirmed at the reunion that it actually wasn't as bad as it looked but i thought zay was really really hard on him and i think that kind of constant nitpicking can be really bad for someone's self-esteem now the stuff that she talks about and how badly she was treated i didn't really see it as much during the season the bipolar thing was really awful of course but i don't know i mean yes he was immature but it was one of those like chicken egg things where she was picking on him i felt before he really displayed how immature he was. Like like that Nerf gun shit. I thought she was already hard on him before all that. And to me, that Nerf gun was like the height of immaturity. So I was kind of on his side and I wasn't sure that he was going to say yes. The way she, at the altar, was so sweet and loving to him and then in the same breath, with the same tone, ripped him a new one. I mean, it was thrilling to watch. I had my hand over my mouth because it was so shocking. But... It was really strange to me how she delivered all of it in the same package with a bow on. So that was really weird. And then, of course, at the reunion, all the girls kind of dogpiled on him about the cuties thing. And they only knew from what she had told them 
from that and all the other stuff she had said, which we didn't see examples of, that's all they were going on to really pile on top of him. Also, the other, uh, her friends who applauded her speech at the wedding, they must have heard the same stories and that's why they were, I guess, so excited or something. But, you know, then they, I love that they like smacked that footage on the end and they really let it play out. I mean, after a certain point, I was like, all right, can we get to the cuties? But I think they wanted to give full context that they were talking, it was like a regular mundane conversation about going to see her family. And then he's like, we, he's like, we have a big dinner. And I don't think he, you know, I don't want to deny that that's what she felt. I do believe that she felt what she felt, but I think the extreme to which she took it, which then led her to shame him publicly in a way that he can't, what is he going to do? He's not going to argue back in front of everyone because, you know, that's just like, she's obvious. I don't know. She put him in a really tight spot. And so it's that tricky thing of, do you deny, you know, kind of like the Beverly Hills thing, do you deny someone's experience because it could really damage someone? Or is that really not a good thing to do because that's how she really felt and you shouldn't um, deny her of that. I don't know. It's I don't have the right answer. I just think there was a middle ground where she could have been a little softer with him and she didn't have to really tarnish him that way. But she believed, I, look, I think she really believed in what she was calling him out on. And she really thought that she was taking a stand for herself and for women who are, you know, who get berated in relationships. And that's a very real thing. I think someone hurt her in the past. I don't think that person was Cole. And I think she was kind of taking out past wounds on him. And everything that he said to her was really magnified in her head as um, insulting, belittling, and demeaning. So I don't know. I mean, you tell me if maybe I'm missing something. I just never really got a sense from him that he was uh, really mistreating her that way. So I don't think she came off great. It was a little weird also where he like, you know, he kind of burst into tears at the end and apologized for all the awful things he said. And I'm not sure if he was doing it to save face, which he has every right to do, honestly, or if he was doing it because he really did say awful stuff to her because he had been denying it all up until that point. And then suddenly he's like, I'm so sorry for all the things I said. So that part was, it was, I'm not denying what he was saying I'm just confused in terms of the storytelling about what he was talking about. Also, the business about the number he got uh, at the bachelor party, that was very confusing because while Zay may read certain situations in a very heightened way, that sort of thing where she's repeating what he told her seems like she wouldn't make that up. And he's saying like that conversation didn't even happen in the first place. So that I'm not really sure what to believe. The guys were all really weird about what happened uh, that night. And Brennan had a weird thing where he was like, I was drunk, I don't know, I was drunk, which means like, to me sounds like they went somewhere and he just didn't want to get caught. Because now of course, all these dudes are like the ones who are still with their girlfriends or who are married, now have this awkward thing of like, well shit, I didn't tell her that I went out afterwards. So now they're all getting thrown under the bus as well. So I think they were all kind of panicking. But yeah, it was just not, it was a really dark situation. I really felt for Cole. Um, he wasn't my favorite, but, you know, fair is fair, and I think he, ugh, I really think he went through the ringer. He just did not look like he was in good shape, which made me, like, kind of worried about him. And worst part is it confirms what his super religious parents were worried about. Like, it confirmed at times 10 that this was a terrible idea. And by the way, earlier in the season when he was like, I thought being Christian 
meant forgiving people and being kind and generous and it's like and not judging i was like oh buddy that should be the case but it's just more often than not that's just not the case i thought that was a very sweet innocent moment but overall a really good season a really good mix of happy endings horrible endings and kind of middle of the road stuff um and i love i remind me if did they roll this out last year in batches of three because it infuriated me but it was like the right thing to do because it really extended the life of the show and it you know now you have what three or four weeks of people buzzing about it i wish they had done that with uh buying beverly hills to really extend the buzz so that people would you know tune in the next week who didn't tune in the first week and they'd catch up i think there is something there to really spacing out how these episodes come out so i hope they do i hope netflix does more of that because with this binge culture you watch and you forget and it's like it never happened which is not as fun as this where it's like all this anticipation you know for what's going to happen next week and then you get three episodes which is still satisfying but not kind of giving you everything in one go so all right that's all i got for this quarter uh thanks so much for listening do let me know what you thought about both of these shows and uh, let me know what else you're watching. There are so many movies and shows out now uh, in this part of the year, which I'm really excited about. I really want to see uh, Don't Worry Darling after all that stuff that went down with Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles and Jason Sudeikis. Um, so yeah, that's one of the things I want to see. But yeah, let me know what you're watching. Let me know what you thought of Love is Blind. And if you disagree with anything I said, please do it in a nice way, all right? It's almost the holidays. I don't want to take... I, I get enough weird pushback from people on TikTok. I don't need it from my Instagram friends. So, all right, guys, that's all I got. Talk soon. Bye.